Okay, Second Peter chapter 3, I think we are finishing tonight. Of course, uh, Ed doesn't know what verses we're covering because the bulletin was all messed up in that department. Uh, I had a hymn number for a song that wasn't even in the hymn book this morning. Uh, after I had checked the bulletin two or three times to make sure there were no mistakes, and I don't know. It was somewhere in the transition between the computer and the printer that it went wrong. I don't know what that was, but uh, anyway, we're down to the last three verses of Second Peter chapter 3. Next week, if the bulletin doesn't mess this up, uh, there will be a note in there for ten questions. We are going to do our ten question uh, event again. And um, so there will be opportunity for you, if you want to start thinking right now, about anything you would like to ask me explain to you uh, from God's Word, uh, church history sometimes, who knows? But it's ten questions. And uh, usually I get 15 or 20 or 25, and I just stir them all up, and I pull the first ten. They're upside down, so I don't even know what they are, and you don't sign them, so I don't know who it is. And so I just pull off the top and, and share with you ten questions. That's ten weeks of... Uh, answering questions. So, that's not next week, but next week it will have the form available for you, and uh, we'll get that started up as soon as we possibly can. So, Second Peter chapter 2, or 3, verse 16 through 18. Now, I'm going to back up a little bit, because it's funny to start right in verse 16, as you can see. Uh, I'm going to back up to verse 14 for a minute, just to give you the paragraph. By the way, this is one sentence. You know how Paul can do that. Peter can do it too. And uh, From 14 all the way through verse 18 is one long sentence. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Now verse 18 is a key to the book, in my opinion. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's something we're all called to do. We are to be growing, 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 growing. Alright? Now, this is Peter's great application, if you will, for all the information we've walked through in this book for the last, well, uh, eight months now. We started it right at the first of the year when we started Jude. Uh, we've been looking at uh, Peter's statements concerning false teachers, which is pretty in-depth. Uh, chapter 3, he's gone through some events yet to come, which includes judgment, and especially judgment upon those who are mockers and false teachers, and uh, how we ought to view things in light of God's sovereign control over all this world, and especially about His promises. 
He keeps his word. And when we get down to the last handful of verses, he goes specifically into a statement about God's word. And that's what we're going to focus on in what I like to call the grand finale here. Uh, it's, it's something we should anticipate. We're looking for. Uh, in verse number 14, something we should be eager about. Matter of fact, Peter only has seven commands in this whole book, which is amazing, because Paul could put seven commands in one verse. But Peter has only seven commands. Yep, got him right. Seven commands in this book. Four of them are in this last paragraph. And that's how heavy it gets toward the end here when he starts to give the commands to the believers of what they ought to be. We've already started with some of these, but verse 14 was the call for us to be diligent. Diligent, very active, very busy. Use speed. It's actually the Greek word for use speed. Be quick. All right. Uh, be eager for. What does STAT stand for? S-T-A-T. Quick. quick. <laughs> it just means quick. we got to move it, right? <laughs> There's some big word behind it, I'm sure. But uh, anyway, that's the idea. He says, now! And, and the nature of that, he calls them to do it as if they've never done it before. Just get started. What is it we're to be diligent about? Well... When we walk through this, there's, there's the commitment of conducting our own lives. Be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless, and blameless. Now, since you've already studied with me this book, He's not talking about your salvation. He's talking about your behavior. He's addressing Christians here. And it's not like we're looking for how do I, how do I, how am I found as a believer, but how is my behavior found as a believer? In light of all that the false teacher brings to the table, who is the one who's supposed to be standing in peace? We are. Who is the one who's supposed to be spotless in a world like this? We are. Who's to be blameless in a world like this? We are. Easy? No. That's why it's attached to a command. And we're supposed to be very diligent about this. To be found. To be found. If Christ showed up right now, how would he find you? Oh, he'd find me in my pew right here. Alright? Aren't you glad you're here and you're not someplace else? He found you here. But that's not what it means. How would he find you? As your Christian character is referenced, as your behavior is referenced, as he sees you, not as you see you, or not even as the other believers see you, but found by him. Boy, is that a test. Does he see that peace in you? And peace, by the way, is being united with God in such a way that it's right. All right? I've used this word before. The, the noun for peace is erene, which is a beautiful, beautiful little word. Erene. But it comes from the Greek word iro. means to join it. To put it together correctly. And when something is put together correctly, it works right. It's the most efficient way for it to operate. 
I always use the example of the of the uh, transmission in your car. When all those gears are in the right place, you don't ever worry about it. You just pop it into gear and off you go because it's doing it right. But if one of those gears is not lined up correctly, number one, you hear it because it makes terrible sounds. And then secondly, you know it because your car doesn't work right. And it ruins efficiency and it ruins effect. You cannot operate with such a thing. The idea of peace in a believer is not lemonade in a summer day underneath a shade tree, you know, in a hammock. Peace is being one with God. We have peace with God. Isn't that a great thing? Imagine that. You and I. Peace with God through Jesus Christ. And here, that's the way we're supposed to be found. That's who we are. People of peace, because we know the Prince of Peace. It's real simple. But we should be found that way. A believer ought to be that way. And I think in our day and age, that's very important. And the adjectives that go with it, spotless ones and blameless ones. And I could just let that sit for a minute, because that's what you're supposed to be. That was the first command in verse 14. Verse 15, and keep on regarding, keep on thinking, keep on considering the Lord's patience. Now, in the context, his patience is in reference to judgment. The fact that he hasn't judged this world like it deserves (laughs) is the patience of our God. It's amazing. I, I would say, if he read the newspaper right now, what would he do? He already knows that, right? But why hasn't he stepped in when we think of the condition of our world right now? Why hasn't he judged in a severe, severe way? You know what he can do? He can bring the world into existence with just a word. And although we know the scriptures, how easy it would be for him to say, be gone. And it's done. He won't do that because we already know the truth. But I'm just giving you a picture. God is able. And he's able in the department of judgment. And that's what his promise is. And we saw that earlier in this chapter too. And the fact that he's patient is amazing. But what's in reference to salvation, isn't it? Look at it in verse 15. Regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, as deliverance. He, he's, he's patient right now. He keeps on being patient. Just like we're supposed to keep on thinking this way. This one is a present tense command. It's the kind that you must keep constantly thinking about. What is the value of this command? I call it a commitment to continual evangelism while there is opportunity. He's given us today, Right? He may give us tomorrow too. What are you going to do with that day? How many opportunities do you get? How many do you look for? The opportunity to to share with one other person, perhaps. But the fact that the Lord is patient and He gives another time for salvation. Another opportunity. Another opportunity. Another opportunity. He has been so good in this. Do you know that evangelism is the one thing you can't do in heaven? You can only do it here. And he says, keep on thinking that way. Keep on thinking that way. Now, with all that said, none of these commands and really none of these things are, are, are operational without the Bible. 
Salvation, what do you talk about? Things you read in the Bible, right? Your behavior, where do you get the, the measuring rod, the standard for that? Here in the Bible. So, it's only natural, as Peter is saying these things, that he turns quickly to the Scripture and says, Oh, and where are you going to learn all this? And how are you going to stay true to all this? It's in your growth. And the growth comes from knowing Scripture. And so he goes to an interesting little paragraph here about Scripture. He says in verse number 16, 17, and 18, where we're going to camp. Also in all his letters, he's talking about his beloved brother Paul. Isn't that a great term? Our beloved brother Paul. Wasn't Paul the one that stuck his finger in Peter's face one day? said, you're wrong! You'll find that in the book of Galatians. That, that was a, a moment, wasn't it? But uh, we, we see that, and here's Peter's response. Our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, he wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand. He starts talking about Scripture, and it's interesting how he's so quick to equate the letters of Paul to Scripture. Some of Paul's letters, the ink was still wet. And he calls it Scripture, as the rest of Scripture. He already identifies it. It was that, it was that clear to them. But as he starts to talk about Scripture, what, what do we do with Scripture? Who, who are we? We're, we're like the people that James speaks of. Let, let's go back to the chapter 1 of the book of James, just for a minute. It's not that far away. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter. But here in, in first, or James chapter 1, this is the kind of people we ought to be. Verse 22 through 25. Prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and is not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. And once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Look at verse 25 for a minute. There, there's uh, two participles here. We call them participles. They're, 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 na they're adjectives in nature, or they're verbs in nature, and they're used as an adjective. So they're, they're describing words of a person using a verb. An action. Right. Two actions that should describe you. According to James, one is the one who stoops down to take a closer look. He looks intently at the perfect law. Here, here's one who, we call it a penetrating look at times, an attentive look at times. But stooping down, I've noticed over the years, it's not as easy as it used to be. You ever notice that? Well, maybe you haven't. But are, are all the things on the bottom shelf slowly starting to work their way up to upper shelves? Where you can reach them and you don't have to crawl down on the ground to get them anymore? Uh, my dad, one of his habits was, as he was growing older, was to put wheels on everything. 
And so his whole house had wheels on the, the dining room table had wheels, the chairs had wheels, everything had wheels. And so if you sat down leaning on the table, you could be in trouble because it just, and it slid right up from under you. But that was his way to prepare for the days when he couldn't push things around as easily. Well, here's a, here's a, a look for you where one is intentionally putting themselves in a discomfort to see God's word. Most of the time we set it up to read God's Word in a comfortable setting, right? You have your favorite fluffy chair, your little uh, footrest that comes out maybe, your cup of coffee and all these kind of things, and you say, well, now that I'm comfortable, I'll study God's Word. This is the one who actually is, I, I'm getting uncomfortable to study God's Word. And when you dig deep enough in it, it gets uncomfortable, doesn't it? That's the attentive look. And he's calling us not just to scan through it and look for a happy verse and think of a cute song and sing it through. But he's saying, allow God's word to really get inside where it makes you uncomfortable. Are you willing to stoop to go and look at something? That's one of the characteristics that James is looking for in the man who's blessed. And the other one is the one who has done that, gleans from it, and Days right there, in this sense. Uh, the second participle that goes in this, it says in verse number uh, 25, is not only does he look intently at the perfect law, but he abides by it. He abides by it. And, and that's an interesting picture. It, it's not one who's read it and then moves on. It's one who stays behind and looks at it again. And looks at it again. And looks at it again. He's not rushing away. He continues in it. Like when you abide in a certain location. You're staying for a while. And that's the picture of what he's speaking of here. Is he, somebody who perseveres in it. He's not going to quit. He's not going to quit. That's pretty good Bible study. <laughs> to go that deep. Allow it to leave you in an uncomfortable way to get to it. And then stay there. Stay there and persevere in it. This is the blessed man, he says in verse 25. He's blessed in what he does. He, he's characterized by the penetrating scripture and persevering in it. This is the guy who does that. Now, why did I bring you there? Because James and Peter and John and Paul and all the others, when they speak about God's word, they don't ever present it like, oh, it's just something you do once a week and just move on with life. But they know it's the core of life for us. It's the direction in life for us. It's that which makes our character. It's what blesses us. We need to be good students of His Word. That's why I really love Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is a man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law he meditates day and night. His delight his delight, that's his bent. We use this term sometimes when we talk about the, the, the human nature. We talk about our bent, our bent towards sin, uh, things of that. Theologically, we use it kind of like, if you give me my choice of right or left, and left is bad and right is good, human nature, guess which way I'm going to go? Like a magnet, I'm that way. It's because we're bent. That's, that's the softer word for depravity. Right? We have a bend toward that. But how would you much rather like a bend toward God's Word? 
Your first thought is God's Word. Your first direction is God's Word. Your desire is God's Word. Your will. Think of it. My will. God's Word. The pleasure that it gives my God. The pleasure that it is to be in His Word. I would like that delight. How about you? This blessed man in Psalm 1, his delight is in the law of the Lord. That's where he bends. And he meditates. And that's always the funnest word of that whole chapter. He he murmurs. He moans. He growls. Now, this is really kind of a cool picture because it's, it's got the picture of a dove cooing. You've heard that before. And you say, well, that's pretty. It's fun to wake up to a cooing dove. Or the lamenting or sighing of men. When's the last time you opened God's Word to go, oh. you know, one of those big internal sighs because you say, oh, this is what I wanted. You do that when you get into the lazy boy, right? That feeling that this is where I need to be. This is my refreshment. My favorite one is, it's the sound of a lion growling over its prey. It's having a great breakfast. And I always think that's funny because next time you're doing your devotions and somebody walks by and you're going, and they say, what is wrong with that person? I'm just feasting on the word. Just try it sometime and see what they think. That's meditating. That's, that's devouring. That's just spending your time in something that's so pleasurable that you've got to have more and more and more. That's the word. And the Hebrew, the Hebrew picture just in all of that, notice how it just leans to the Word and it's got to get into it. That's the blessed man again. James says, that was the blessed man. Psalm says, that was the blessed man. So are you surprised when Peter is trying to wrap things up and talk about your character and talk about how you view the Lord's work in this world that he says, and this comes from Scripture. And as believers, it ought to be our bent. It ought to be our passion. It ought to be the thing that we say, yes, let, let's have it. Do you know one of the most successful men in the Old Testament was a guy by the name of Joshua? And do you know what his character was made of? He studied the Word. He studied. You know how much Word he had? Genesis. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy was still fresh. The ink was still wet. But he was just handed that. And this man devoured it. He determined to live his entire life based on this. He was over 80 years old, perhaps, by this point. Because he was 40 years in the wilderness. He was one picked very early. He might have been 70 or 80 years old. By the time the Lord said, Joshua, you're in charge. Lead him into Jericho. But before that even happened, he was a man of the word. And the Lord blessed him. One of the most successful men. You can see that in Joshua 1 verse 8. That's where he spent his time. In God's word. Usually we talk about Joshua and we talk about war, don't we? talk about battles. We talk about Jericho. We talk about that. Here is a man who loved the Word. I like that character. So, I guess what I'm sharing with you tonight excites me a great deal because as I talk about God's Word, I know our needs. We need to be studying this book. To whatever degree we have so far, let's do more. Let's be more intent. Let's have it more of our bent. Let's have more of our passion in it, more of our desire, more of our, our growling, if you will. Just eat it up. 
Grow in it. Grow in it. Grow in it. Because there's really no spiritual success without it. And he's talking about your character here. He's talking about your understanding of who the Lord is and His patience here. And you're not going to learn that just putting your head on a pillow. Even if your Bible's under the pillow. You have to read it. you got to learn it. And that's where our success lies. You cannot grow as a believer without it. You need to have it. And you say, well, but you know, a lot of the scripture, it, things are said in the negative. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. You start going through the list of things that we're not supposed to do. But how many times do you stop and say, this is what you do. This is what you do. Think of, just think of Peter for a minute. Just walk with me just for a minute. In chapter number one of this book. Nope, I'm sorry. Previous book. Chapter one of First Peter. Go back, way back to verse number 23 through 25. What is Peter urging you to do? Just say it in a phrase as soon as I read it. In one twenty-three through 25. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flower of grass, and the grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. What did God's word do in your life? It changed you. You were saved, right? Isn't that great? God's Word. You weren't saved apart from God's Word. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. That's what the Holy Spirit uses. He says, it produced your spiritual birth. Don't you want that? What about chapter 2? Same book. Chapter 2, verse 2. Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, so that you, by it, you may grow in respect to salvation. What does it produce in you? Spiritual growth, right? Don't you want that? I mean, babies, they take to it naturally. We should take to it naturally as Christians, desiring that book. Chapter 2, I mean, book 2, sorry, Second Peter 2, Second Peter, one, I've got all these numbers in front of me. Second Peter one three through four. For you taking notes, you just scratched out four times, didn't you? <laughs> all right. Second Peter one three and four. Look at these words. Seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us. His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them, watch, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. What does God's Word bring to you? Everything we need. What are you lacking in your Christian walk? Anything? D.L. Moody thought he was. He was a student of the Word. He spent time in the Word, but he didn't know a whole lot to tell the truth. And that's why he picked other people to lead the Bible Institute, by the way, which was a very wise thing to do. But uh, he was on a boat one day, and he met some uh, missionaries that were heading off somewhere. And they convinced him that he didn't have everything. 
They said, oh, you need a second visit of the Holy Spirit. And so they talked him into that idea, and, and he talked about that from time to time. But if he had read Second Peter chapter 1, he would have found, he didn't need that, he already had it. The Holy Spirit was already in him. But he was a little confused, because that's the way the world leaves us. And the reality is here, folks, he has granted to us everything to life and godliness. And so that we might become, in verse 4, partakers of the divine nature. That doesn't mean I just now got it. But I partake in it. I'm part of it. What he is doing is making me into the image of Christ. Doesn't that just floor you sometimes to think it through? He's going to win. Do you know that? We might go kicking and screaming, but he's going to win, according to Romans chapter 8. Partakers of the dark, this is, this is your life. And we get it from the precious promises of his word, so we need it. Chapter 2, I mean chapter 1, verse 19. So that we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. In reference to God's word, pay attention. Pay attention to it. That means you've got to read it, right? You can't pay attention to something you don't pay attention to. You've got to read it. Pay attention to it. We, we do well to do that. Also, the next couple of verses, 20 and 21. Know this first of all, that no matter of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by the act of human will, but man moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Remember, this book you hold is God's book. It's God's Word. It's not man's Word. Man's Word doesn't go much farther than into print and on a bookshelf and eventually sold at Hope Outreach. God's word is eternal. Isn't that beautiful to say it? You've got it in your hand right now. What a precious thing to have in front of you. Um, chapter 3, we go jumping now, big step. Chapter 3, Peter just reminds you in the first two verses. I'm going to remind you, I'm writing these things to remind you. It's my way of reminding you, verse 2, to remind you so that you know in verse all, all in all, he says, remind, remind, remind of the things you, were, you heard, you heard, you heard. Let me remind you. I paraphrase that kind of brutally. But what is that all about? It's his ministry. Based on what? The Word of God. Put it all together and what do you have? We have a passion for Scripture here. It's what brought about my birth in Christ. Is what causes my growth in Christ. Is what changes me. It leaves me without any needs. I pay attention to it knowing it's God's word and not man's. And that just becomes ministry. It's something that, that works into our lives, but it can't stop there. Because whatever God puts in comes out. And it spills out in ministry to other people. There was a guy, I can't even tell you his name. To t I'll be honest, it was back... Uh, 1982, 
a little while ago, uh, when I was at Moody Bible Institute, he came and he spoke at Founders Week. We always had guest speakers come in, and some of them pretty big names, the MacArthur's and the Swindolls and all these others would come in there and share. And, and this man came, and I don't remember his name, but his entire sermon of 45 minutes was all scripture. And he didn't even have notes in front of him. It was like this man just talked scripture, and it blew me away. And what's interesting is, I don't remember his name, but I know what he did. And I remember his love for God's Word, and you could see it on his face. He just talked to us God's Word. And what an impact that makes on me to say, you know, I've seen people with a passion for God's Word before. Have you? Who love it that much, they have to get into it. So what's Peter saying? As he gets to the end of this book, he says, now listen, folks. This is what wraps up everything we're talking about here. All of it centers on your commitment to Scripture. These are the positive things. Keep on your guard, verse 17. Keep on your guard. Now, I didn't pass over Paul's, the reference to Paul in verse 15 and 16 on purpose. I wanted to bring this to you after bringing up his simple command be on your guard in verse 17. Because, when you back up to verse 15 and 16, he starts talking about Paul. He says, you know, Paul, Paul wrote from God. Paul was given wisdom by God. Paul wrote things that were consistent with the rest of Scripture. Paul wrote things that were hard to understand. <laughs> Have you ever found a passage in Scripture hard to understand? I do too. And it's like, I don't know what to do with that. And some people say, well then I'm not going to study. It's too hard. That's lazy. When it's hard, guess what you should do? Try harder. Work harder. Sometimes we use that as an excuse to be lazy believers. But here's the problem. When things get harder, and when people don't guard what they're given, and they're not spending time in God's Word, they learn to distort. Because they distort, like it says here, as those who are unlearned. They're uninstructed. They are ignorant. They're illiterate. He says there's a danger here. The hard things in verse number 16, the untaught, and unstable will distort. Those false teachers out there that's running around, have you ever thought of them as unlearned men? They don't know God's Word. Matter of fact, they're distorting it. They're unstable. They're not steady. They're not firm in it. They distort it. You want a good word for this? It's a Greek word for putting somebody on the rack and twisting that, that uh, lever around and around until the joints all pop out. And that's the word Peter uses right here to say that's what they're doing to Scripture. They're torturing it. They're pulling it apart. They're perverting it. It's not in its natural place. It's just not. No Scripture apparently escapes their distortion distortions. They are active at distorting and distorting as they do the rest of Scripture. Not one part of it do they left, leave off their rack. That's what the unlearned does. 
You want to be counted in that group? I don't think so. That's what the unstable do. It's interesting, because those are the two key parts of the last two verses. The unstable is a warning to us. We're told to be on our guard, because you can be unstable in a moment. Look at it in verse 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, he's talking to believers, isn't he? Be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. Keep watch. This is a word for red alert, okay? It's, this is important. It's very dangerous out there. There's men, unprincipled men, who distort things. They delude, they fraud, they, they're lawless. If you go back to chapter number 2. They don't govern by a law. They're, they're a danger, and we forget. We forget. And when we're not paying attention, they can rob us of our firmness, our steadfastness. Notice verse 17 does not say you can fall from your salvation. It says you can fall from your steadfastness. The danger of every single believer is that we can quickly fall if we are not giving ourselves to God's Word. If we are not giving it to God's Word, we're unlearned people. And if we're not giving our time to God's Word, we're unstable people, just like these who distort God's Word. And guess what we'll be doing before long? Distorting God's Word. And then along comes these people with unprincipled ways, and guess what? We fall. That's how close we are to it. You don't want to be there. The way Peter sets this up in verse 17 and 18 is either you're in danger of one or you're doing the other. There's no middle ground. There's no little place to stand on a platform and say, I think I'll rest between verse 17 and 18. That's not the option. He says, either you're that or verse 18, but you are growing. You have those two options in front of you. Because if you're not growing, you are in danger of falling. But when you get down to verse number 18, there's our command that we've been watching all the way through this book. Keep on growing. You've been given that book for a reason. Keep on growing. Don't quit where you are. Keep on growing. There's more to learn. Keep on growing. There's more to eat. Keep on learning. Keep on learning. Keep on learning. Don't neglect it. Keep on growing. That's the big picture. It's a positive command, isn't it? Keep on growing. Constantly growing. Always enlarging in your understanding of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, when you're doing that, you're not just growing for yourself. You're growing for your brother and sister in Christ. Because this church needs it, doesn't it? We need mature believers here. We need all of us to be growing like this. How exciting that is. When we're all saturating ourselves with God's Word and we get together, we have a lot to talk about. And we also have that camaraderie that comes with it, where you're committed to Scripture, and I'm committed to Scripture, and what an impressive thing we can do as we work together. Because we're not trying to pick each other up. We're there together, serving. 
your knowledge of God's word, your and our Savior and the understanding of grace, you're not just protecting yourself. You're protecting all of us. And that's what we're called to do. Henry Alfred, one of the Greek uh, um, commentators on Scripture, he said, Be so firmly rooted as to throw out branches and yield fruit. We say, I want to be rooted in God's Word. Are you bearing fruit? Do you have branches coming out? That's a good sign of growth, isn't it? A good sign of growth. So, we're to be diligent, committed to this book, in our lives to be uh, made like Christ in this understanding of this book. Keep on regarding uh, evangelism opportunities there. It's a commitment to just continually keep thinking that God has given us another day to serve Him, guarding ourselves and growing in God's Word. That's his last paragraph. The last things that we know Peter ever wrote to the church. If you had one paragraph to write to the church today, knowing you would never be able to write again, would it be anything like this? Grow, is what he said. I'm going to give you a test. You didn't know that, did you? It's not that kind of a test. I'm going to read to you something here. I want you to think through very, very carefully. This was uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon's commentary on uh, the morning. Some of you read morning and evening, his devotional. I love it. It's wonderful in God's Word. Uh, this was the morning that you'll find under January the 4th. All right, so if you have that publication, you could pull this up and read it too. But this is, I'm going to call it your test. And you're going to see why as you hear this. Grow in grace. Not in one grace only, but in all grace. Grow in that grace, that root of grace, faith. Believe the promises more firmly than you have done. Let faith increase in fullness, constancy. Simplicity. Grow also in love. Ask that your love may become extended, more intense, more practical, influencing every thought, word, and deed. Grow likewise in humility. Seek to lie very low and know more of your own nothingness. As you grow downward in humility, seek also to grow upward having nearer approaches to God in prayer and more intimate fellowship with Jesus. May God, the Holy, may God the Holy Spirit enable you to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Those who don't grow in the knowledge of Jesus refuse to be blessed. To know Him is life eternal, and to advance in the knowledge of Him is to increase in happiness. Those who don't long to know more of Christ know nothing of Him yet. Whoever has sipped this wine will thirst for more. Although Christ does satisfy, yet it is such a satisfaction that the appetite is not cloyed, but wetted. If you know the love of Jesus as a deer pants for the streams of water, so you will pant after the deeper depths of His love. If you don't desire to know Him better, then you don't love Him. For love always cries, nearer, nearer. Absence from Christ is hell, but the presence of Jesus is heaven. Don't be content 
Do not increase your familiarity with Jesus. Seek to know more of Him in His divine nature, in His human relationship, in His finished work, in His death, in His resurrection, in His presence, glorious intercession, and in His future royal advent. Live close by the cross and search the mysteries of His wounds. An increase of love for Jesus and a more perfect apprehension of His love for us is one of the best tests of growth and grace. I stop when I read that and I say, Ooh, am I growing in His grace? Do I have an appetite like that? That's our test tonight. Now you take it and talk to the Lord about it. Alright? Heavenly Father, Your Word is powerful. It sharpens us. It changes us. It knocks off the dross. And it purifies. It strengthens. It guides us. It's that lamp for our feet. It's a light for our path. It's our food, our milk. It's our meat. Lord, there's so much we could say about your word, but what we like the best is it speaks about you. This is where we learn of you. We could learn from a sunrise, and we could learn from experience, but there's no better place to know you perfectly than to spend time in your book. And we have it. We have it right here in our hands. May we not, may we not neglect this book. It is the thing that safeguards us in troubling times like this. It's the thing that stabilizes us in an unstable world. It's the thing that protects us against false teaching. It's the thing that helps us to grow in the grace of Jesus Christ and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. May we not take this book as something insignificant, as something to just sit on our shelf, something to carry in our hands and put on the, the, the passenger seat of the car and leave it for a week. May we see a passion develop within us to grow, to grow, to grow in our love for what you have given to us. Drive us ever closer to you, Lord. Make us what you want us to be, but keep us as students of your word. And I pray that that will always be true of us. May it be the participle that matches us. We are people who love God's Word. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of learning from this book. I pray that you write it on our hearts with permanent ink so we do not forget what we have seen, what we have heard. And we pray that in that, when we become those kind of people that James calls blessed and Psalms calls blessed, that we will be quick, very quick, to give you the glory for all that. We pray for that tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.